Like fish or chips, fish and chips. Fish well, or chips. Fish or chips. It's got to be both. Like a bit heavy. <laughs> <laughs> Soggy, greasy, ultimately disappointing. <laughs> Hello, my name is Kirsty Styles, and welcome to the weekly economics podcast brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. I'm here with James Meadway, senior economist here at NEF. This week, the new Conservative government has started work, and we'll be talking about George Osborne's first announcement, which focuses on the building of northern powerhouses. In his first big speech since the general election, the Chancellor will invite cities to apply for the same powers being granted to Greater Manchester. Yes, you're Manchester's and you're Leeds, but don't forget, great cities like Hull. I think we've got a real opportunity now to build this northern powerhouse. David Cameron's going to offer and George Osborne a Boris in every city. Well, the great thing about it is that... Is that possible? Invest in the future, build that northern powerhouse. Do you want more power invested in your local politicians and your regional politicians and your big city politicians? Uh, Do you want more power? So George Osborne has used his first uh, major announcement as Chancellor to talk uh, yet again about northern powerhouses, uh, a theme that seems quite popular uh, with speechwriters at Conservative HQ. So James, it sounds like that this is the revival of uh, local democracy, um, something that we'd like to see. Uh, what is uh, he proposing this week? Well, the, the proposal this week is basically building on uh, something he's been talking about since last summer. When he first started talking about the northern powerhouses, which is the idea that starting with Manchester, who have really leapt at this, uh, and the local authorities around Manchester, there will be a devolution, they're calling it, of powers um, to these local authorities. So that's powers over certain bits of spending, some ability to claim some of the local taxes from businesses back themselves, uh, and that these new authorities, with a directly elected mayor, will have a bit more power than, than we've been used to in this country. That's the kind of the, the nuts and bolts of the thing. Okay, so there isn't power in the regions already? Well, this is this is why it's interesting that Britain has incredibly centralised uh, distribution of power. I mean, it's, it's something that's taken place over the last 30 years or so, that you get Thatcher in particular, real removal of um, controls and powers from local authorities over her time in office that hasn't really been shifted particularly since. And so you end up with a very centralised system in which you know, 95% of basically what a local authority gets to spend is determined by the Treasury. And this is how uh, the power is distributed. And it's unusual. Most developed countries don't have this degree of centralisation. OK, so the UK is quite centralised, but how much does that really matter? The other part, I mean, the other part of this uh, centralisation is that we have an incredibly kind of regionally unequal uh, society here. If you, if you see the figures, they're really quite stark, that we have a much more unequal uh, society in terms of regions than uh, than anywhere else inside the EU. So you have one of the richest parts, in fact, the richest part of the entire European Union, which is central London, uh, on one end of the scale and the other end of the scale, you've got places like Wirral or West Wales that are incredibly deprived, that really bear comparison to somewhere like Bulgaria or Romania. So that's a huge spread of differences contained in one country, much, much out of line with what happens in the rest of Europe. So as a proud northerner, um, don't tell anyone that we're recording this in London, um, where I live, uh, I I think fondly of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, There was lots of wealth up north. What's happened since then? Can you give me the headlines? Well, the headline here is is that you're dealing with a very long period of time where basically the north of England in particular, but also Scotland and Wales, but it's north of England we're talking about here, after the initial rush of the Industrial Revolution, lots of economic growth, lots more wealth being created in the north, you've really seen since at least, and, and probably going further back than this, since 
since at least the First World War. It's been losing out continually to the south, uh, to the south of England in terms of where new industries are, uh, where investment is happening. All of these problems are sort of embedding themselves uh, from the First World War onwards is where it becomes really, really apparent. There's a bit of a shift in, in the post-war boom, 50s and 60s. There's a bit of sort of redistribution, some new growth. But then, of course, when you get deindustrialization, the loss of manufacturing jobs in particular, uh, that's a process now that's been going on for really 30 years. I mean, it's Thatcher that accelerates it markedly, but it continued under Blair. Um, once you get all this, there's a big transfer of wealth and power towards uh, the southeast and towards a concentration in London in particular. So that's where the kind of north-south divide economically comes from. It's really quite a long, dramatic history that you're looking at here. So the government solution to addressing issues like the north-south divide is focused on growth. Uh, why don't you think that will work? Well, the, the issue here is that what, what the government's saying, and it's predictable, is that they, they think, uh, and they've done quite a bit of work uh, around this, and this is certainly accepted by the Treasury, that if you have loads and loads of growth outside of London, then everywhere can catch up with London. Then this is just how, how things are going to work themselves out over the next few years. The problem with that is two parts. One, you end up saying we're going to concentrate not really on the whole of the north of England. We're going to pick out like the major bits of major cities, so central Manchester, let's have loads and loads of growth there, let's really make this place work, and not do too much about uh, what happens in the rest of Greater Manchester, you know, somewhere like I'm from, like Wigan. So that's one part of it. So you end up with these kind of little Londons that you want to try and create, where there's a huge concentration of wealth and activity in the middle, but perhaps not so much that's taking place uh, as you move further out. The other bit is if you do try and get serious about making growth happen, uh, if you pick out, say, the whole of the northwest, if London grows at just 1% a year forevermore, much lower than it has done in the past. The Northwest growing at 2% a year doesn't catch up with London until 2085. So growth is a very, very slow process by which you might address these kind of big disparities. The disparity is so big that you can't just rely on growth alone to close the gap between London and the rest of the country. You have to redistribute as well. Okay, so has any redistribution happened already? The, the, I mean, the tax system redistributes anyway, right? So that's why you, even though uh, you have some really very poor parts of the country, people there are somewhat better off than they would be because the tax system does work to take money from some rich people or somewhat richer people and give it to somewhat poorer people. So that takes place automatically. What's happened since, really you've seen quite uh, dramatically since 2008, is that, that a lot of that process has been kind of thrown in reverse. So you have the crash itself and it's, it's incredibly expensive to deal with both through the bailouts and then the recession afterwards. A crash that is centred on London and centred on financial services in London, but the whole country has to pay for. The whole country has to pay for through austerity. That's the kind of cost of this thing. Um, that's one part. The second part is I think it's clear that the quantitative easing programme, this printing of money by the Bank of England, effectively printing money uh, to the tune of about £375 billion, has turned into lots and lots of that money effectively going into London property. So you've seen this huge uh, rise in London house prices. It's reinforced by money coming in from the, the rest of the world as well. So it's a real concentration there. And the final bit, of course, is that if you look at the pattern of cuts and the way in which local authorities have seen some of the worst cuts in, uh, enforced over the last few years, um, spending on local authorities down by about you know, 37, 40%, that kind, of, that kind of figure, is that it's the richest councils who've had to make the least cuts and the poorest councils who've had to make the most. So if you're talking about the richest, the top 10% of richest councils in the country, funding per head is down by about £44. If you take the poorest 10%, the 10% of most deprived councils and local authority areas, uh, funding per head is down by about £228 since 2010. So it's really perverse redistribution is happening here. It's all working in the wrong direction. 
Okay, but it, it does sound like, on the face of it, at least George Osborne is trying to redress that balance, you know, giving power to, to uh, great places like Manchester. Why isn't giving power to these cities the right answer? Well, the, the issue here is that it's kind of one of those ones where you've got the parts of a right answer, you've got parts of a bit where if there was more power and authority outside of London, it might be possible uh, to do something about this enormous centralisation, disparities of wealth, regional inequalities, all of these things. What you've got in these proposals is some increase in some powers, but not very much. So you get a little bit of taxes, the business rates that local authorities collect will, under these proposals, local authorities and these directly elected mayors will be able to take those taxes and spend it as they see fit. But that kind of starts to set up a bit of a competition because then you've got all these local authorities, theoretically, these new uh, elected mayors, all scrapping over each other to try and get bits of business investment so they can get the taxes. So it's a bit of a zero-sum game. You know, you still, as the Treasury, are controlling overall spending and then you're saying to uh, local authorities, to these new mayors, to all these new institutions that you're setting up, within this pot that we control and that we're shrinking, you have to fight over the resources that are there. That's not really giving you powers. That's kind of getting someone else to do your cuts for you, in effect. Okay, so um, devolution is an idea um, that many people will at least will have heard of, giving power back to the nations was something that's happened over the last um, couple of decades. Um, So Scotland uh, and and Wales actually already have greater powers devolved uh, to them than the regions do. How does this kind of uh, deal that George Osborne's proposing uh, compare? Well, the the comparison is is, is similar, right, in the sense that there will be some powers transferred to, to, in this case, Manchester and and this this newly uh, created directly elected mayor. It's just that the powers you're transferring are really not that substantial. I mean, devolution to Scotland has made, I think, a fairly clear difference. What's happening in Scotland is it's quite a different economy, quite a different government that you have there now with all the the political consequences that this causes. That's because the Scottish government does actually have quite a degree of power. It can make meaningful decisions. Scotland's a pretty big place, so it can affect what's happening. Manchester is is smaller. The powers that are being transferred are smaller. The capacity of this new authority to make real choices and to break with a kind of neoliberalism, the pattern of cuts that we see in austerity, to do any of that is going to be very, very limited indeed. Because the transfer of powers is not particularly large and because the areas you're transferring these powers to are not themselves that large you're not going to get the same sets of outcomes I don't think that we've seen in devolution in Scotland and to a lesser extent with Wales. Okay so um, thank you very much uh, for going into some more detail there James it sounds like there's an opening for Mayor of Manchester and both of us are local so I'll uh, I'll, uh, see you uh, at the podium. Thank you very much. Cheers. Music for the Weekly Economics Podcast is provided by Poddington Bear. If you haven't heard us before, you can find all of our previous episodes on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. In previous episodes, we've discussed issues as diverse as divestment from fossil fuels, feminist economics, and the ongoing situation in Greece. We'll be back at the same time next week. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org.